so many of us feel so alone right now. In many ways, loneliness is an epidemic in this modern time. And yet, ironically, we are never alone. And our ancestors knew this. They created relationships with the wider web of life around them, like the land and the plants and the trees and the mountains and the rivers where they lived. When we narrowly center our relationships only on humans, when we isolate ourselves as a species from the rest of the web of life, what else do we expect? Loneliness is inevitable. I'm Marcy Moberg, and this is Tune In with Marcy, a podcast devoted to exploring what it means to reconnect to our intuitive nature. Hey there, welcome to Tune In with Marcy. I'm your host, intuitive coach and healer, Marcy Moberg, and I am delighted that you are here today. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Uh, something to note, I run my podcasts, honestly, a lot like mini workshops. So you're really in for a treat because I, I do a lot of teaching in this space. It's like how I like to run my podcasts and uh, how I like to listen to them, <laughs> you know, the kind of podcasts I like to listen to. So if you're new here, welcome. You're in, in for a treat of a, a mini workshop, and I hope that you'll listen to other ones. And if you're coming back, it's great to have you again. Today, we are talking about non-human relationships. We're rounding out a couple of weeks where I have focused on relationships ahead of the holidays and leading into the holiday season. And I want to talk today about non-human relationships. And some of you may be saying, Ooh, exciting. And some of you may be saying, what? <laughs> what are non-human relationships? I'm confused. So many of us feel really alone right now. Um, this is really an epidemic in modern times, as I've seen it, that loneliness is really an epidemic in modern times. And the truth is, is that number one, we're never alone. And I'll talk about that in a non-cliche way, like very practically why that's true. And number two, there is this idea in modern culture that we do things on our own, that we can be quote unquote self-made. We can have success that we can call our own. And sure, we've been a vessel, we've made the effort of that success. And we may have in our story, in our mind, that other humans were not involved in that success, although that's honestly very unlikely. And number three, two, three, you know what I mean, wherever we are in this process, the last thing is that it's just a lie because there are a lot of non-human forces that are at work that support every single one of our lives every day. But these connections and these relationships often go unacknowledged. And I find that loneliness is one of the central wounds 
I see consistently in my client work. And yet, like I said, ironically, we're, we're never really alone. And yet so many of us feel that we are because we narrowly center our idea of relationships on humans. Even though so many of us have dogs, cats, lizards, birds, fish, turtles, whatever, lots of critters. Even though we have those kind of people, there are different kind of people, those kind of people, those other species living with us, we still have this idea that relationships are only centered on humans, which is really bizarre because nowhere else on earth, nowhere else on earth does life exist like that and operate like that. Nowhere. Mm -mm, Doesn't happen. So we narrowly center relationships on only humans. And this leaves us feeling very alone because we're disconnected from our ancestral ways. And you may be thinking, well, ancestral ways, so many of us, when we trace our ancestors back, come from different countries, continents. This is true. However, when you look at uh, our ancestors across continents, countries, our, our ancestors far enough back, some of them, for some of us, is closer, for some of us, it's further back, believed in a wider net of relationships with life, where it was not just humans, but there were there was a, a, a very intentional, and there continues to be in many cultures, a very intentional tending, building, feeding, nourishing, engaging in, communing with, communing with, communicating with relationships that are non-human. And these relationships include the unseen, like spirit guides, ancestors, energies, angels, deities, right? So these spirit and energy forms that we don't necessarily always see with our physical eyes. And then there's the spirit in the scene, like plants, animals, stones, land, trees, the elements around us, the earth, the sky, the moon, the stars, uh, places, actual places, mountains, bodies of water, etc. That these seen parts of earth, these seen parts of our system, our cosmos, that we can literally see our ancestors further back, or maybe the ancestors that currently exist still believe that there is a spirit in this seen element too. Now, some people talk about this in terms of animism. This is a term that grew out of anthropology. And it's a way to talk about a belief that uh, objects, places, creatures possess a spiritual essence, an energy that this sense of spirit runs through all things and is animated and is alive. And it's a way of uh, not 
separating out humans as, oh, well, humans have spirit and these other beings on earth are just pure, I don't know, I don't what would even people say? It's kind of hard for me to imagine it now because I don't think that way at all anymore. But, you know, that they are devoid of spirit or soul and the sense of animism is a way to to talk about the, the way that this idea that no, there is spirit and soul in all things. It's based on this concept, like when you really, the word itself comes from the Latin word anima, which is connected to breath, life, spirit. And really when you kind of trace the traces further back, at least if I'm looking at it through uh, like uh, Latin and English terms and that's not my specialty, but this is something that I was kind of exploring because I like to geek out on this some stuff sometimes through um, the etymology of the word. And it's based on this concept of anima mundi. And anima mundi is a medieval Latin term that grew out of a Greek phrase. And the anima mundi really means soul of the world. So there is this precedence because sometimes people think about this. Um, I know this was the case for me. When I first started uh, coming into touch with ideas about animism, it was something that I already, in some sense, was kind of practicing without realizing I was in an unconscious way. Um, slowly over time, I was already kind of starting to develop these relationships with particularly animals is where that started for me before that, but that's with the seen world, the unseen world. I already had, um, started developing relationships with, with spirits and th that was kind of, that's been something spirits have been in my life, my whole life and animals have been a big part of my life, my whole life. And I have had a very strong connection with animals and ability to communicate with them my whole life. But I didn't think of that as animism mainly because I didn't have a word for that. And I also just generally felt this very deep connection with the rest of life, but I didn't, in my mind, I hadn't made that bridge yet because I hadn't seen examples of it to make that bridge of how I was interacting with animals that I could do the same with plants and other parts of life around me. And so when I first, you know, experienced animism in my mind, I was thinking that that didn't apply necessarily it was it was not it was not a principle it was not a practice that necessarily existed for my ancestors and my lineages if I trace them back but that's actually not true which has been a really beautiful thing for me to discover over the last several years that actually at least for where a lot of my roots come from a big chunk of which comes from different parts of western europe that there's actually quite a strong precedence for this and in uh, pre-Christian times, there was, and it looked in very different, it had different forms and it's still this idea, these ideas still exist in some cultures um, in Western Europe that there is this like soul of the world and that uh, the spirit, the soul like animates all things. Okay, so that's kind of like, context. And I lay that out because I just think it's, um, I think it's helpful. So we're kind of, you know, all on the, on the same page. 
And I wonder before I continue, you know, what would be different for you if you had a sweet, for example, relationship with your houseplant? Like you had a relationship where it's not just that that houseplant was there, but you were intentionally engaging with your houseplant. Like that's another person sharing home with you. Or the next time you stepped outdoors, it was like stepping into a room bustling with people. And by people, I mean like trees and the plants, the animals, the elements, like the fungi. What would that be like for you, the insects? Some of my most special moments in life uh, have been these really beautiful, intimate exchanges with non-humans over the years. A lot of this started for me, like I mentioned, you know, that when I was younger, I've always had this strong connection with animals and with nature. So I had that, but as an adult, I'm talking about as an adult, because there was like a point I feel like where I still always felt connected to animals, but there was a point where I, I, I wasn't moving slow enough, intentional enough, And I was so in my head, kind of academically, (laughs) with my training, intellectually, uh, with my job, etc. That I wasn't catching these kind of intimate moments that I had when I was younger. And so it really all started coming back for me when I started going on retreats. And I started going on meditation retreats. For many, many years, I went on sometimes shorter and then sometimes 10-day, traditional 10-day meditation retreats. And those retreats over the years, whether they were a one-day or a 10-day, I have so many beautiful memories. I mean like life-changing moments for myself where something big inside of me shifted. And those were sparked from non-human relationship experiences. And the beautiful thing is like when you're, if you've never been on a traditional silent meditation retreat, the beauty of that is that when you're doing a meditation retreat and you're in silence, you kind of naturally open yourself up more in this way. And so for a long time, I continued to seek out retreats because that was the space where I could access this really deep connection with nature. But the beautiful thing that I discovered over time was that I didn't have to be just on retreat to have these intimate moments that I actually could facilitate really deep relationships like that every single day, every single day. And, and that for me was life-changing. So, you know, I had this one beautiful moment on a retreat where a spider, like this tiny spider, I don't, I've not been a fan of spiders, but spiders like me. We we have this long history together. Um, This little spider is really the one that slowly taught me to have a better relationship with spiders since spiders kept showing up for me everywhere. And that of course has its own symbolism in it. And also I was just really uncomfortable with them. 
And so I had this really amazing moment one time on a retreat. It was a one day retreat and I was out sitting by this labyrinth, uh, trying to eat my lunch. And I noticed this little spider on the bench where I was like, you know, those little, um, black, like little jumping spiders. I'm not sure if you're familiar with them where, depending on where you live. And this, I, I, I noticed it and I went, Oh, and kind of like moved. And I noticed the, the spider adjusting based on where I was going and the spider wasn't interested in leaving. The spider was very curious about me. And I noticed that the spider was almost like trying to play. They would kind of get close and get back and go close and come back. And and at one point, I kind of felt this sense of, oh, the spider's really like trying to engage with me. This is really interesting. I'm not expecting this. I've not had an intentional experience with a spider. And I remember, uh, after trying to escape the spider for like a really long time, deciding, oh, well, what, what if I kind of lean into this? And I crouched down and I kind of got myself to eye level. And it was a really profound moment where this spider came to the edge of the bench and we just stared at each other for like a really long time. And there was just this really deep sense and like a message of, I'm trying to connect with you. And I remember being really moved to tears, like me, me, <laughs> like what? Uh, and it was just this really beautiful exchange. I had a similar experience one time when I was on retreat and I was so annoyed. I kept getting all these horrible mosquito bites and it was driving me crazy. I'll put a link. I wrote about this on my blog many years ago. Uh, I'll, tr- I'll try to find the blog post and put it in a link in the show notes. Um, well, I was in the shower, taking a shower after getting so many mosquito bites. Like every night I was getting so annoyed. Like why there's this mosquito in my room and I, you, they won't leave and You know, every single night I go to bed, I try everything I can. I'm still getting bit. I'm like, I'm so annoyed. So I was taking a shower and wouldn't you know who's in the shower with me, this mosquito. And I was like, oh man. And so I was about ready to just kind of like try to turn off the water and shake the curtain to get them to leave. But something like told me to slow down. And just pay attention. It was kind of similar to like what happened with the spider, right? Pay attention. Okay. So I got curious. And as I, again, got close to the the mosquito, the mosquito didn't leave. And then I was very curious about that. And I noticed that what was so beautiful and remarkable to me, because in my mind, I was like, oh man, this mosquito's in the shower because the mosquito's going to try to bite me. And eat me and please just leave me alone. You're tormenting me. And that's actually not why they were there in that moment. They were taking a shower with me. And I saw this mosquito with their beautiful legs, just like tapping their feet into the water, like their little legs into the water and then like rubbing their wings and their antenna. And they were giving themselves like 
Literally, they were taking a shower while I was taking a shower. And it was this very, very intimate, deep moment of, you know, this connection of spirit. Like, wow, I'm you, you are me. Like, there's this connection. There's this personhood that I'm seeing here between us. We're both kind of living our lives. You know, you're taking a shower. I'm taking a shower. I happen to be your source of food. (laughs) Um, You know, we all got to eat. It was very interesting. And I left the, I left the mosquito and they didn't bite me again, which was nice. And the last story I want to share with you is about a land story. So I share the insect stories because insects are not something that I connected to for a long time. I connected to animals and and birds, but never insects. So there's like the spider and the mosquito were these two beings that really started shifting that for me. And then I had this very intimate experience with land, with earth. I was on retreat and I felt called to go up to this high point on um, this kind of mountain area where there was a labyrinth, another labyrinth story, not the same labyrinth, a different one. And I was going out because I was feeling this strong pull to have an intimate conversation and, and really like create a relationship with land, which is not something I had done before, intentionally anyways. So I remember following my pull to go to the top of the hill and standing at the labyrinth. And I had this sense of kind of like a herd in me, the sense of remove your shoes. You need to walk barefoot to feel the connection. And I was like, okay, there was like this sense that I had the sense that the land wanted to connect with me in a very intimate way, which means it needed to have my, my, my skin, my feet on the ground. So I agreed to that. And as I started walking, what was really profound is I was so moved by this almost sense like I was seeing a friend that I had known for so many eons of lifetimes that I had not seen in a long time. And there was this simultaneous grief for not having connected sooner and simultaneous bliss of relief for finally reconnecting. And as I started taking my steps, I started having tears streaming down my face. And at the same time that I started to have tears stream down my face, the sky started opening up and rain fell on me. And I had this sense that the land and the place was crying with me. And we were feeling the same thing. And it was so profound and moving and beautiful and awe-striking. And like, I didn't, I was like, I was so shocked by the whole thing. Like, I'm crying, you're crying, we're crying. When I finished, what was remarkable is that the second I finished the labyrinth, my tears stopped and the rain stopped. 
This is the kind of intimacy I'm talking about. It's available to all of us, and it is so profoundly healing and nourishing. Because in all those experiences, I felt so seen, I felt so held, I felt not alone. And the presence, if you've ever been in the presence, even of just uh, an animal like your dog or your cat or something, like the presence, the quality of presence is so different. So non-humans are with us, connecting with us all the time. We're just not slowing down to pay attention And so many of us are just very human oriented. Like your dog nuzzling your arm after a really hard day and licking your face. I mean, you might just think like, oh, they want attention. No, they're very smart. They feel you. They know you need support. Or the tree that seems to wave to you as you sit on your steps and you're feeling like really down and you might think to yourself like, oh, haha, it's like the trees. It's almost like the tree saying, you know, you're not alone. Yes, the tree is saying you're not alone. Yes, yes. Life is waiting to connect with us and for us to remember our place in the wider web. They're like, what the hell, humans? <laughs> all of us are talking, what happened to you? You know, what becomes possible when we develop intentional relationships with non-humans? Here's a couple ideas I have about that. First of all, I believe we develop a deeper sense of belonging when we no longer locate our belonging only with humans we locate our belonging with life. Yeah, I just got chills when I said that. So that's like, feels very true. We, we no longer like just only see our belonging in humans, which make up only a portion of life. A portion of life on earth is humans. We're not the whole thing. We're not the whole planet. We're not the only thing happening here. We're not the only people here, the only beings here. Also, we feel less alone. We feel more deeply seen, held. This can really heal a lot of trauma, attachment wounds, early childhood experiences, relational trauma. Like It's not the only thing that can heal it. There's usually a lot of other uh, inner work that might need to be done with a therapist and other practitioners, but this can be one component of trauma healing. And I can say that really as, as a person who's been a trauma survivor myself, these non-human relationships with the land, the animals, the plants, the world around me, the spirit guides, the ancestors have healed me. That's why I teach this stuff because it is healing. It's not just, it's fun. Sure. It's fun. It is fun. It's fascinating. It's interesting. I mean, endlessly interesting and fascinating. It's cool. Um, They can guide you on, 
your path, all of that's beautiful. And having these kind of relationships can heal really deep-seated stuff. Really deep-seated stuff. I also see that that having relationships with non-humans can spark inspiration in us, creativity, can help us remember our place and purpose in the world with a much wider perspective. It's really hard. I mean, it still can happen, duh, of course. (laughs) It's really hard to be as, as, we'll say, as egocentric as narcissistic tendencies as you know neurotic like whatever like we'll still have our stuff but it's it's hard to be as swept up by that when your field of relationship is so much wider Would you like to be a part of my inner circle, get the opportunity to know me a little bit more and for me to get to know you? How about an opportunity to take what you learn on the podcast and translate it even more practically into your everyday life? Well, if any of that sounds good, I would really like for you to hop on over to my website, www.marcymoberg.com and sign up for my newsletter. I send out regular emails to my newsletter, which is really my inner circle. That's the best way to stay in touch with what I'm up to. And I send out newsletter-only practices uh, whenever I have a new podcast episode, which is an opportunity to really take that week's theme and that week's episode and translate it into your own life. Super easy. You just head on over to my website and you'll find a pop-up window and a link there to be able to join. I can't wait to get to know you better and for you to join my inner circle. Now let's talk about why it's important to develop relationships with non-humans, with the plants, the animals, the living world around you. First of all, I have seen this happen so many times. It definitely has been the case in my own life. But when we do this, when we develop relationships with non-humans, we expand our heart centers. We develop greater compassion, kindness, and love. We know that we always have a place to turn to when we feel alone or we don't belong or we just want to be held and seen. If you take your, you know, whatever's coming up for you, you take that out into the, the natural world. You go sit somewhere or let's say you, you know, that's not possible for right, you right now, given lots of different circumstances. Let's say you just take whatever's coming up for you and you sit down by your favorite house plant. You might be amazed by what happens if you turn to that plant and you just say, you know, gosh, I've had a really hard day and I just really want to feel held right now. And then just see what happens. Just see what happens. 
I've had so many clients do something as simple as that and be surprised by how much they feel met and they feel like they no longer feel alone. They feel like they belong. They feel, they feel held. And it's really always remarkable to them because they're not expecting that. But it's just like with the spirit guides and ancestors, we have to, we, we, we have to engage in a relationship. Um, We need to, ask for support and, um, and we can give support in return, be, be, be reciprocal. I also believe that developing relationships with non-humans really helps us ha- be more ecologically mindful in our decisions. It doesn't mean that we will necessarily be perfect in pieces always around sustainability or ecology concerns, but I do feel like it does help us be much more mindful about our decisions and our impact on the planet, which is essential and important in a time where climate change is an increasing problem and challenge and concern for our future. Developing these relationships with non-humans also help us to become really invested in the land and the place and the area around us and that can be caring for it, that can be just developing more of an affection and connection, desire to connect. Like if you connect with the land and the plants and the trees and the animals and the area around you, you also generally want to connect more with your neighbors, your community. And that's important, it's essential you will likely invest in the area more too and try to make it a better place. And so, you know, that's, that's important because so often, at least especially where I live now in uh, an urban environment, especially in urban environments, but I do see it across the board, we're not really invested in place. And when we're not really invested in place, it can have a lot of detrimental, you know, consequences. It also, when we develop this like greater investment in the place in the area and the land where we live, we, we feel more grounded, we feel more rooted. And that is so essential for all the sensitive and empathic types out there. If you're a highly sensitive person, you're an empath, you're somewhere along that line, feeling grounded and rooted is like essential because it's like one of the number one challenges for us. And connecting and developing intentional relationships with the the non-human world around you, particularly the seen, the seen non-human world, like the plants, like the trees, like the, the mountains, like the animals, really, really grounds your energy and roots you in place. It has been really like life-changing for my own energy, and I've seen it do the same for other people as well. Developing these kind of relationships foster reciprocity so that we want to be better caretakers of our lands. We want to be better companions of the creatures that live on it. We want to care more uh, and be a better steward of wherever we're living and ultimately really mends damaged ancestral ways. How do we start developing relationships with non-humans? Well, 
There's a lot of different ways that you can do this, but here's a couple ideas just to get you started. This is not a full encompassing how-to because that takes time and I teach longer programs about those pieces in my intuition uh, programs. So, but to get you started with something, here's some suggestions. The next time you go outside, notice who is around you. And I'm, I'm saying who, notice, and it's not a what, you know, notice who is around you. What trees, like, you know, which trees are around you, which plants, which animals, uh, insects, mushrooms, fungi, lichen, like just, just notice. You don't have to identify them all. I just want to encourage you to just take them in and notice what's around. Spend some time standing, sitting, pausing, just slowing down in one spot to take, to take in who's around you with the intention of starting to build relationship with some of those beings who are around you. And then notice if there's one that kind of sticks out to you more than another. Maybe there's like a tree that you find yourself just naturally your eyes drawing there, or there's a flower that's naturally drawing your attention down if you're somewhere warm, which I'm not right now. But, you know, or you notice a bird flying by and landing on the branch near you, whatever that is, notice who is drawing your attention and say hello. Say hello to one non-human person. This is maybe going to feel silly or maybe not. Maybe it'll feel like second nature and it's something that's coming back or maybe it's something that's completely new to you if saying something out loud, a hello out loud feels like too much, then you can say the hello in your heart and then maybe you work up to saying hello out loud. But I think it's really interesting to say hello because so often I find that people are really surprised by how life responds to them. But be intentional, introduce yourself, and then notice what happens. Just notice and pay attention. Uh, one of my favorite moments I have, there's a beautiful big oak tree in front of my apartment. Uh, and I have developed a really like loving relationship with that tree. And one day I was sitting out uh, on my steps and just paying attention. And I often give offerings to this tree. And it was one of those days where I had brought out offerings and then was just kind of sitting so I went and gave an offering and said hello and just like connected with the tree and then went back and sat down. And this branch fell right in front of me, like maybe a foot away from me. And I had this sense inside of my heart and like this message of, well, this is my offering to you. That the tree was, you know, offering this really beautiful branch back to me after I had given a offering to them. And it was just this really beautiful exchange and it really moved me. And I got very emotional, like uh, after the branch fell and I saw the branch and I went and picked the branch up, I, I got emotional and I almost kind of, in a sense, could feel like the trees, like my love for the tree and the trees love for me. It was just this really beautiful moment. So 
but I would have not noticed that if I had not just slowed down and paid attention, you know? So you really just need to notice, just notice what happens afterwards. As we, if I close out this episode, one thing I wanted to say as some book inspiration, if you want some book inspiration, are two books. They're not two books about how-tos. They're two books that I find are just great inspiration at helping you to maybe feel inspired to play with this different frame of mind and perspective. And one is called Becoming Animal, which is a a book that I have slowly savored and cherished for listening to for, ugh, I don't even know, two, three years now, I've been slowly, make my, slowly making my way through that book. I find it to be super, super beautiful and profound. It's, it's a lovely book. And then Braiding Sweetgrass is another really beautiful book. Both of those books are just really beautiful inspiration. They're not how-tos. They're meant to give you inspiration from two people who live their lives relating to the world around them in this more anima mundi, uh, soul of life, spirit in all things, non-human people world. It's really, they're, they're really beautiful. So if you need, if you want some inspiration further about that, to kind of just get your juices flowing. Uh, those are two great books to check out. And, and they're two books that really have influenced me and like validated some of my experiences and inspired me to take them deeper, particularly Becoming Animal. In that book, he ta- the author talks about the um, the way that he has this really beautiful encounter with his apartment. And that is something that um, really had me be even more intentional with creating a relationship with the spirit of my home. So that's what I want to leave you with today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I had a lot of fun sharing this with you. This is a topic that's very near and dear to me and, and something I usually only talk about in my programs, my online programs and my one-on-one work. It's not something that I usually discuss a lot, uh, publicly in my social media. And so I'm, I'm really happy to bring this topic with you today and share some of these rich stories and uh, some of the, these practical tips of how you can get started with starting to really expand your idea of relationships in your life and support network and relationship building. If you enjoyed this episode, as always, please head on over to Apple Podcasts and give me a five-star review that will help more people find the podcast. And I would be really grateful. And if you're on Instagram, you can find me at Marcy Moberg. I'm also on Facebook at intuition with Marcy. And you can take a screenshot of you listening to the episode and then share it there and tag me. And I would love to hear from you. And I'd love to hear about how you enjoyed this episode. So until the next time, remember that being you takes courage. Thank you so much for tuning in today with me on my podcast, Tune In with Marcy. I hope you loved this episode and it enriches you as much as it has for me to create it. 
If you enjoyed the podcast, I would be so grateful for you to hop on over to Apple Podcasts, share your rating, and leave a review. Ideally, five stars. That way, more people can find this podcast, which would be wonderful. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode. And you can always learn more about me and my work at my website, www.marcymoberg.com. That's my first and last name.com. Until next time, remember, being you takes courage. Lots of love. Thank you.